Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, the, I asked after last week, I was sitting out um, under my gazebo after last week, uh, the weekend, Sunday night, and I had 25 pages of notes, you know, my nerdish kind of stuff from all the speakers, and I was dissecting and putting together, and I said, Lord, okay, uh, is there anything that you would like to share with me? Is there something you could tell me? He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I want to be one of those sheep listeners. And so, and do you have anything you'd like to share maybe with the body of Christ next Sunday? And I instantly in my spirit heard Jude 24. I said, Lord, I don't know what's in Jude 24. Let me get the book. And uh, I pulled it out, and it's how I titled, if you don't have a copy of the outline, you probably want to get one. But it is Jude 24, the first part says, God is able to keep you from falling. God is able to keep you from falling. So I started meditating. I was really amazing. Yesterday out on the waterway, I took the kids out, and everybody else had a similar idea, I think. It was a beautiful day out there, and, and uh, I got a point to just uh, lay out on the boat. The kids were all doing their crab catching and all that stuff, and, and the Lord just started meditating to me. And I had this download is, do you know about the joint bank account? I go, Lord, could you kind of joint bank account? And so I started meditating on that last night. This is a joint bank account. Um, a joint bank account means there's more than one person in it. They have access to it if you're on it jointly. And so I started meditating. I looked at a lot of scriptures last night, and I started to get really excited. Um, first of all, this, uh, this joint checking account, it's a, it's a promise account, and it's uh, established by the kingdom. And it was first opened by my grandfather. His name was Abraham. And um, he opened that, and I became an heir and a joint heir on the day that I had my name written in his book. And I became an heir. I moved from being stupid and dumb. I think it was what Abner said. When you're not born again, you're really, you're not smart. <laughs> not that, you know, and you're also dead, right? If you're not born again, you're dead already, you're only, and, and guess what? It even says you're a child of the king or you're a child of the devil. It's, it's not either or. It's not like slightly in, no, no, no. So it was like, wow, what a big day that was. In fact, he tells me in Corinthians that I was a new creature in Christ, that my DNA, actually, it says a new creation. My DNA was formed in such a way that he marked me. So I became an heir and a joint heir in this account. And there's uh, some really neat stuff. It says, through Christ... I have the same blessings that was promised to my grandfather, Abraham. I have the same blessing. That's in Galatians chapter 3. And then he goes on, he says in Galatians 3.29, he says, and since I am in the family line, I'm actually part of Abraham's seed, I'm an heir according to the promises. I'm an heir according to all the promises. And man, when you start reading the promises of Abraham, you ought to get really excited. I mean, it, it ought to move you from, oh, that's nice. No. <laughs> it's, it's, then he went on, he says, um, in Galatians 4, 7, he says, I'm a son, and since God sent his spirit into my heart, I call him father. I call him dad, Abba. Um, I'm his child, and he made me his heir in Galatians 4, 7. 
that we shared uh, Wednesday night, Daniel and Alicia were sharing out of the book of Romans chapter 8, one of the amazing chapters, and, it, and went into the adoption process. And in fact, in the Roman citizen culture, a biological child had, had fewer um, blessings or guarantees than an adopted child. And he goes on and says, now you've been adopted into the family. You've been brought into the family, and you, have, you can never be put out. Once an adopted child in that culture, you can never be put out, never disowned. Now, again, that ought to do something to you. That is start. And so then I said, well, Lord, can you share a little more about this account? Because <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's loaded with stuff. But just like... You, who might have an account, unless you write the check, guess what? It stays in the account. And so I said, well, he said, there's a financial part of this. In fact, it says um, in Philippians 4.19, Christ shall supply all my needs according to his riches. He supplies all my needs. I started meditating on that, and it's like, wow. There's a health account. Psalm 91, we've been praying that over us, Right? That no sickness, those who dwell in the safe place of the Most High, shall find rest under the shadow of the Almighty, and no sickness shall befall your dwelling place. But if, in fact, something does try to befall my dwelling place, there's a James 5 scripture. It says, if any suffering among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil, and the prayer that's offered in faith, just offered in faith, shall sozo, heal, save, and deliver the sick. And so, then this one, you know, I love this one. Um, the demon-busting account. This one's in Luke 10. He says, I've given you full power and authority over all works of the devil. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and in no way can he harm you. These are all accounts that can be written. Now, if you don't believe you have access to the checking account, it'll just sit in the account. This one, the sin-forgiving account. Man, how many times I have to go to that account? Right? We're going to look at that in a minute. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins to him, he's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. So there's a sin account where we, we come in humility, we write that account check, and he says, come on. How about the joy account? You ever get to a place where, man, I need to access that account. And when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow, he says, why don't you come to me, the joy will be strength to you. And so, I just want you to know there's an account. And uh, the reason I start with this one is, notice what he said in Jude 24. God is able. He's able. That word in the Greek is tied to both enablement and able. So, he is able. He has enabled you to be able to draw from these accounts. But unless you make access to the enablement, it just sits in the account unused. What a, what a tragedy to die never knowing you had a full bank account. The enablement, actually the Greek word there is dunamai. We get that same word dunamis, which is power, right? So enablement, this, this Greek word has both the combining of power and the willingness for action. The verb context of this enablement is to give someone the authority and the means to do something. So when you're enabled, you've been given the power and the authority to do something. But again, you have to access it to make possible, 
to make operational, to activate. And so, when we look at this, let's, let's turn to Jude 24. So, go all the way back towards the book of Revelation. Jesus' half-brother writes to the church. He was, wanted to write about salvation, all that, and he ends up really digging into some of the dangers that are in the church. He deals with at least three spirits that are operating within the church, and we see them today. But he ends that amazing short one chapter in verse 24. And let me read the New Living. It says, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. Some of your translations say stumbling. So think of it that way. You're walking and all of a sudden you trip. You're about ready to fall on your head. It says, Lord, He's able to keep you from that stumbling place. But there's more that goes as, and He will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. Richard started the service today about the presence. And we were at that moment when we were in that presence place, right? Singing those renewal songs that just brings you into the presence. He says, He will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence. But look at the last part, without a single fault. King James says it this way, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding great joy. Are you getting this? You're real quiet in here. Where's Miss Addie? Oh, she's in Jersey, right? <laughs> so, there's this place where the, he brings you with exceeding great joy into his presence without a single fault. Now, I don't know about you, but I got a few faults. Yeah, Bishop and I do. And so, so to, to, be brought, and, and to be brought into his presence with great joy without a single fault is really, he enables it. So, when you start to dissect this, it says, he, he enables you, he's able to keep you, to bring you into his presence without a fault. So, Lord, I said, that's, that's really good. Um, can we unpack this a little more? So, we started digging in the Holy Spirit. I spent several hours, and I want you to look at what I think is a statement that's amazing. Turn with me to Second Peter. Just kind of go back a few pages past John and get to Second Peter in verse 1. Second Peter chapter 1, let's begin in verse, well, let's see, let's begin in verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let me read King James and then I'll look at New Living. It says this, you there, Second Peter 1, 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, remember these promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let me read the New Living. The title on this one is Growing in Faith. So, there's this growth in faith. He says, by His divine power, God has given us everything 
we need. Can I get an amen on that? God has given you everything you need. So, again, here's the enablement part, right? He's made it available. It's in the checkbook. The question is, will you access it? Well, how do we access it, Pastor? That's the million-dollar question to the writing of the check. Glad you asked. We're going to look at that in 1 Peter. But he goes on, he goes, let me read the rest in New Living. He says, So he's given by his divine power. You have everything that you need for living a godly life. So anyone that says, I I can't make it uh, wrong. We have received all of this by coming how? To know him. The one who called himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. Here's the endless treasure. Same thematic. Remember, we were in Ephesians. I read it to you. The endless treasures of God. This is the depths of the riches of Christ that are available to you and to me. And because of that, it ought to do something in here to motivate us to walk in a way that is like, oh, there's such. That's why he goes on. He goes, no eye has seen and no ears heard. No, you just can't even imagine what God's done. So that's why that day when we get there, we stand before him, and it's like, I love what Abner said last week. There's no shacks in heaven. There are only mansions. Wow. I used to think, I used to, Phil Walls and me, you know, Katie's such an amazing, we'll probably, I'll probably be cleaning her mansion. And that's not scriptural. I got a mansion. And so, there's these exceeding promises that ought to do something on the inside of us, right? Then he goes, I says, so in view of that, verse 5, he says, make every effort to respond to the promises. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. How are you doing in the response to the promise is the question. And so, it's like, sometimes we trade our birthright for such craziness, I used to get really upset reading about Esau trading his birthright to his brother for a pot of stew. I said, what a, what's wrong with that guy? And then the Lord just humbled me. I won't tell you everything he said to me, but um, you trade some stuff, Tom, you have in the past. That, whoa, okay, I come now humbly before you, and I, I make a withdrawal on the sin account. Well, let's look at this. It says in... in uh, Peter, he goes on, well, let's, let me, let me read a couple other scriptures to you. He says, first of all, in Romans 8, 26, he says, the, the Spirit helps me in my weakness. Does anybody need help in your weakness? He uses the example of prayer later in that, but he just says as an example, but every weakness you've got, the Spirit will help you. Can I get an amen on that? You know, when I'm like, really weak. There's a reason Jesus said the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. But that's why he sent us the spirit. That's why you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. You can't live this life without the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.14, he says this, before he made the world, God loved us. Wow. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before he made the world and before he made you, he decided that he would make you in Christ without fault in his eyes. Now, I'm telling you, this is like, this is in a place where my head cannot wrap around this stuff because I know what I am and what I think. Like, I got to take that thought captive. I got to fight this thing, take every thought captive, pulling down every demonic stronghold. 
And so we do, it was like, no, I, I, I've got this all worked out. I got this account for you. And my son's blood, by the way, covers all of that. And so he goes on and says, he chose you and made you holy. Turn back to 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So go from 2nd to 1st. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And His Spirit has made you holy. His Spirit has made you holy. His Spirit has made you holy. And as a result, as a result... You have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, now Peter writes, first and second Peter, this is just before he is executed by Nero. Just before that. He's writing this as his last will and testament, second Peter. And he goes, and he says, and you know, Peter, he was the one who always had that foot and mouth disease thing, right? He's always seemed to be inserting his foot in there, and Jesus was correcting him. Oh, Peter. Yeah. And yet... Peter also had great revelation. He knew he was the Messiah. He worked with Peter. Praise God. I'm so glad. And, you know, at the end, after Peter had gone back to fishing, had quit because he had already renounced Jesus three times and promised he would die with him, and he didn't. And then he goes back to fishing, and the Lord shows up after the resurrection. And, he's there, and John says to Peter when he's on the boat, it's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water, gets to the shore, and you know the account. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. Do, do, do you really love me? And Peter's just humbled because he's no longer opening his mouth in this prideful arrogance. He goes, Lord, Lord you, you, know, you know I love you. I, I love you, Lord. Peter, don't you need to feed my sheep? Yes, Lord. Peter, Peter do you love? You know I do, Lord. There was, the arrogance was gone. And that is at, at that point where that humility was setting Peter free. And that's where we all have to come to that place. I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 John in chapter 1. So go, go to the right, right after Jude. I'm sorry, just before Jude. And get to 1 John chapter 2. This, this really light, lit up my light for me. <laughs> I was like, let's um, look at 1 John in chapter 1. Now remember, this is 90 A.D. All the disciples have been martyred except John. Now he's paid a price He's been in prison. Accounts say they actually tried to kill him in the Isle of Patmos. They couldn't. He gets the revelation, writes the book of Revelation, and he, he gives this account now. It's 60 years after the resurrection. So get an account of where this is. This has been a, a long time journey, and the only surviving apostle at this point is John. He's an older man, and he writes this as an eyewitness account. He starts out in chapter 1, I want you to know I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the Father came, I was there. I was there. And he says, so I want you to have peace in your heart. What I'm telling you is not some nice story. I was there when the Father talked to his Son, and the cloud came. I was there when he was glorified. I was there when Elijah and Moses spoke. I was there. That ought to do something to you. I'm telling you as an eyewitness. And then he goes on and he says this. He clarifies a whole lot of things for us. Living in the light. Let's begin in 1 John 1, 5. Living in the light. This is the message that we heard from Jesus. And now 
I declare it to you. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. What he's saying is, look, Christians, if you say you're a Christian, then how can you be partnering with darkness? We're not practicing truth if we do that. We are not practicing truth. We need to practice truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Do you see the progressive work of this? He's saying if you'll continue to live in the light, look, if you mess up, go to 1 John 1, 9, take take an account. Draw from the account. Get washed in the blood. You're completely released of all unrighteousness. But then he goes on, he says, if you're living in the light, then you're, you're, you're continually in this fellowship place. And it cleanses us from all sin. Now, I like this part. If we claim that we have no sin, you're fooling yourself. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us for all our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we call in God a liar and showing that his word is no place in our hearts. So this is a place where, I don't know about the struggling of perfectionism and all that, but we're on this journey. Didn't he say in Philippians 1.6, he who began the work in you will perform it till the day he comes. Amen. So he's working. Remember that song, he's working, even when I don't think he's working, he's working, right? He's working. And so it's like, God, I'm so glad you're working because, man, I started out over here, and it was ugly, and it was a mess. Ask my wife. And then over here, I'm I'm, kind of on the journey. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm working, and I'm giving him permission to work, and the Holy Spirit's cleansing me. Man, that was not a good thing you did. Lord, I'm really sorry. Yep, I'm making an account draw. And he keeps washing me and cleansing me. And he says, when you live in that light, he shines light on the dark places. And he's continuing to perform it until the day he either comes back or he takes you. So where there's this place, he keeps on working. He's working. And so, now here, this this excited me. He goes on, he says, so don't call God a liar. You mess up. Now, verse 1 of chapter 2. My dear children, I'm writing this so that you will not sin, you know. I'm not saying you should sin. I don't want you to sin, but you're going to sin, and don't call God a liar because you have sinned, even though you're a saint. We're not sinners saved by this. Oh, my God, poor little worm. No, you are a saint according to the working of the power of the Holy Spirit that's within you. You have been made the righteousness of Christ. But I'm not perfect yet. I haven't worked it all out yet, God. I'm still dealing with all these things. He goes, so... I'm not writing. Here's the, think of the older 90-year-old statesman who's been there with it all. He's paid the price. He's been in prison. They tried to boil him in oil, according to the historical accounts, and couldn't kill him. And he writes these accounts. He says, I don't want you to sin, children, but you're gonna. And when you do, I got some really, really awesome news for you. But if anyone does sin, you see that? Chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father He is Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ that pleads your case before the Father. The one who is truly righteous, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sin, not only the sins, but the sins of the whole world, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Okay, so I want you to see 
The Son is an advocate for you. Now turn back to Romans chapter 8. I'm about ready to get you excited, I, I pray. In Romans chapter 8, another familiar scripture, but when you put them together, it ought to rock your boat. Romans chapter 8, we studied this in great detail Wednesday night. It was so rich. But this thing leapt out at me as I was thinking about this yesterday on, on the waterway. It says, verse 26, Romans 8, 26. What an amazing chapter, right? I think 22 times the word law is used in chapter 7, O wretched man, right? Now, 21 to, I think in 39 verses, spirit is used in chapter 8. Because we're no longer wretched men or women under, we're now righteous men and women in the spirit realm, right? But he goes on, he goes, however, verse 26, Romans 8, 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. However, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words, and the Father knows all hearts. He knows what the Spirit's saying, and the Spirit pleads for us believers. Amen. Now, stay with me for a minute. Okay, so you mess up and it's like, oh, Lord, Jesus, I'm like, I don't want to, I want to walk. Jesus goes to the Father. Now, he's a triune God with three parts, three in one, right? You got two parts of the triad coming to the Father in your behalf and in my behalf. So, just go with me for a minute. Tom messed up, Dad. He messed up. Um, but I want you to know, man, he's, he's really, he's been doing really good. Remember when he started? Remember how messed up he was? Look, look what he's doing now. Dad, I just want you, you, you got to see this. Remember, what did he do last week that you, remember we were so excited what he did last week? So, Dad, I just, you know, I, I paid for this. Remember, remember I paid for this, Dad. Remember, remember I paid for this. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, and he doesn't really understand all things, so let me groan for him right now. And so you've got two parts of the Godhead doing a work on your behalf. I mean, if that doesn't flow, I'm like, wow. So it's like, instead of looking at this, I'm such a failure. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Don't stay there. As soon as you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you from all your righteous, unrighteousness, right? And your slate gets totally cleaned. First John 1, 9, your slate. So if you're carrying around this guilt and shame slate, you need to get rid of it. Toss it. Toss it because he says, you're not going to make me pay for this twice, are you? I already paid for this one. Why do you keep going back asking me over and over and over again? Don't you realize my blood is sufficient? It's more than enough. And so there's this place where, okay, so Lord, you've enabled me. You've enabled me. You've given me power and authority to walk all these parts of my life out. Well, he encourages us because it is a dual work. There's an interesting statement here um, about sanctification. Sanctification is both the work of God and the work of the people. I'll give you a quick definition. Sanctification means to be set apart. Do you realize you've been sanctified? There's an interesting statement in the King. It says, once you came to Christ and you totally gave your life and your name's been now written in the Lamb's book, you're justified. Justified never sinned. Like, God, how does that work? Because I said so and I'm God. When you acknowledge my son and I declare all things righteous, therefore you've now been justified like you never messed up. Like, that, that really sounds like a really great promise. 
It's more than a promise. It's a fact. And then he goes on, he says, now the sanctification process is the working it out process of where we cooperate with the Spirit. So sanctification is an immediate break that happens at salvation, but it is also the lifelong process of putting to death the sinful nature on a daily basis. That's why he says, take up your cross daily, follow me. Nail your passions, right? He says in Galatians 5, nail your passions, your weaknesses to the cross and follow me. Pick up your death instrument and follow me. Yes, sir. And when you do that, there's a continual working of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Son that's making intercession for us. And so we ought to get like, we ought to get really peaceful and happy. You're already living in eternity. You realize you're already there? No, I'm here. No, you're already, it's already a settled deal. You're no longer dead if you're in Christ. And so there's this place where, wow, putting ourselves, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. This starts to make more and more sense in Romans 12, right? Don't conform to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, letting God change the way you think. And if, 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 if you will do this, he will show you his perfect plan and will for your life. There's a big if in that one. So there's this place of transformation. But he's working with us. He's always like, come on, keep on pushing and pushing in. All right. I, I don't necessarily like lists that much, but why don't you look at your handout for a minute. This started to leap out at me. If you're there, turn back to 1 Peter in chapter 1. In 1 Peter 1, he tells us about holy living. And actually, it's a call. If anybody... <laughs> Peter could probably tell us there was a real call to holy living. So we know now in Jude, he says God is able, so he, he enables us to keep us from falling. But then in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 13. Let me read this. I'll read it out of the New Living. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, a call to holy living. Do you realize you've been called to a holy living? Okay, so think clearly. King James says, gird up your loins of your mind. <laughs> I don't know, that's like, gird up the loins of your mind. What? Think clearly. Start, get your brain engaged in the right thing and exercise self-control. You'd realize that self-control is one of the fruits, right, of the Spirit? Yeah. Right? So, he's saying, I want you to start thinking with a clear mind and I would like you to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Look forward. Now, look, look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. He's going to be revealed to the whole world. And on that day, that ought to do something to you. Even the expectation of the revelation, he gets on, he'll say. So, now there are five musts listed in the rest of this chapter. They're not a suggestion. They are the musts. You can look at them here. It says, verse 1, Paul, uh, Peter says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. King James says, don't fall back into your former lusts of ignorance. You were dumb back then. You no longer are. So, he says, don't go back, don't fall back into that. 
You didn't know better then, but now you must, second must, be holy in everything that you do. Yipes. I got to be holy in everything I do? Yipes. That seems like a high bar. I didn't do it this week very well. I got really frustrated with my daughter Katie this week. Forgive me, Katie. <laughs> That's good, Katie. Oh, I love her. I don't have to, you don't have to worry about humility in my house. Even the dog gets on me. Okay. So so he says so he says but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you to be holy. For the scripture says, here's the third must, you must be holy because I am holy. But Lord, I can't, I, 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 he says, that's okay. I got a spirit and a son who's interceding for you and I've put the spirit in you and I've declared you righteous and holy. So just keep walking with me. And remember, verse 12, verse 17, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. Now there's a thing I've heard around, I'm God's favorite. That, this book doesn't say that. I'm just, I'm just, I, it's good to know from an identity point of view, he's my favorite. I'm just saying that he, he, anyway, I'll just leave it there. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. Judgments and rewards according to what you do. So you, here's the fourth must. So you must live in reverent fear of him during this time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid, it wasn't just silver and gold. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ you have come to trust in God. You have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. There you go, justification. So now you must show sincere love, sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with a pure heart. But Lord, do you know some of my brothers and sisters? Yeah, they got to love you too. Oh, okay, okay. Love with sincere love. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever and the word is the good news. And that word is the good news that's preached to you. Verse 1, chapter 2. So, get rid of all evil behavior. Get rid of all evil behavior. Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all the hypocrisy and the deceit and the jealousy and the unkind speech. Like newborn babes, crave the spiritual, pure spiritual milk so you'll grow in this full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. 
and you'll have a taste of the Lord's kindness. Amazing that he would have us in this place of complete revelation of the kindness. So I want you to see in your outline that I counted 19 of which five of them are absolute musts. There are 19 things that he gives as a holy call to living. Think clearly. Exercise self-control. Look forward. Christ is coming back. That'll help motivate you. Because why? You'll live in God's obedience. Don't go, don't go back to, he says, this, you know, the dog goes back to the vomit. Don't go back to that stuff. It's a mess, right? Why would you, there's nothing in hell you want. Right? I, I love it, Abner. There's nothing in hell you want. <laughs> it just, and it, in fact, sin will ruin your integrity. You must be holy in everything you do. He has no favorites. You'll be judged or rewarded. Now, you know that you can't work righteousness, right? It's, it's a free gift. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, right? It's not... It's not a, a works righteousness. It's a gift given by him. So nobody brags about it. But once you're saved, there better be works. Or you're going to get there and your reward table, there's not going to be a whole lot of trophies on it. And that's going to be set. You're going to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> I had all these opportunities to write checks from an account that was amazing, and I didn't do it or I didn't know it. I don't know, I hate when, I, you know, we used to do the Cub Scout thing and we'd race all these, you know, cars and everything, right? And I wanted all my grandkids and, man, I would do my best. I'm not like Mike, I can't make these things. And I'd, my cars were some of the slowest cars. And it was terrible. And so these kids are all getting their top trophies. And so then my son came and he was really good with his hands. And you know what? Three years in a row, all my grandkids took first. Now he would he studied, he looked at the, the, the tires, and I'm like, wow, there's this process of works that there needs to be a reward. And when you see all the rewards, can you imagine going to the the ceremony of that time and your table has got no trophies on it? I mean, we're glad to be there. Let's let's man, I made it. Thank God, right? Let's celebrate that. But he goes, I don't know how he's going to do that, but he's going to hand out, there are books. Romans, Revelation says there are books. Daniel says the books will be opened. Now, there's the book of life, that's clear. But I believe there's a book of works as well, where it's listed there, right? And there's, we know there's a stenographer that keeps a record in heaven out of Malachi chapter 3, a record of those who like to talk about God. You'll see the difference between the wicked and between my children. You can look at that in Malachi chapter 3. There's this, there's a scroll of remembrance written to those who fear the Lord and honor his name. It's a, that's a, so it's like every time you sit down and want a witness, you're here. I believe there's a day, entry into your chapter this day in the book that says you've been entered in this day. And they love to come and worship me on that day. Man, at that time, that team came from Georgia, and they were able to get in the presence, and I really sensed in their heart, they were worshiping me. Amen. There's an entry in your account. It's going to be more important than any of the other entry stuff of the day. What are you having for lunch? doesn't matter. You probably won't remember next week what it was. Let's go on. It says, 
Live in reverent fear. Number eight, live in reverent fear during your time as a sojourner, a foreigner in the land. I don't know, but a good dose, right? He says the beginning of wisdom. It says the, the reverent fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom, Proverbs tells us. Are you afraid of the power of what's coming in the earth? There's a sovereignty. You don't have to fear God isn't going to take care of you. He tells us, I love that scripture in Revelation 3, where he tells the church at Philadelphia, since you've persevered, I will keep you from what is coming on the whole earth. So we're in that place. We're in the ark of Jesus. But there is some stuff coming on this earth. Read Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. There's stuff coming on this earth that has never, ever occurred. You think of the worst event? Go look at some of the Holocaust things. Go, go study World War II and some of the horrendous things that happened. You're not even close. That ought to do something to the reverential honor and fear of God. I want to be in the ark of Jesus, and I want my whole family, and I want the people around me to understand there's an ark that we need to be in. That'll motivate us to speak the truth to people, right? And so, but that reverential fear is a back pressure against temptation. You have promises that are sure promises. Don't trade your birthright, some cheap thing for your birthright of the promise. Don't do it. Realize that you've been ransomed by a blood that cannot be belittled. It is the precious blood. Trust God. Have faith and hope in Him. Show sincere love. This is, this is probably the big reward. It's those that's like, we started out, and as one started, says, I'm so glad that 70 times 77, like how many times I have to forgive you? And yeah, but my brother and sister, man, they just annoy the heck out of me. Yeah, yeah. I love them too, though, Tom. Yeah, I died for them too, Tom. Is it okay if I don't have dinner with them, Lord? It's just like, yeah, yeah, but you got to love on them. You got to love on them. There's some boundaries. There are, there are legitimate boundaries. Jesus only took three up the mountain. There were a total of 12, but he took three up the mountain, right? And so there's a close, so it's okay. You don't give in to abuse. There are boundaries you have to set up, but you got to love with a sincere heart. Man, some of the folks that, um, that I have to pray for the most and I've noticed over years when I pray for the people that have wounded me the most, there's a shift at some point where I start to really believe the prayer. Amen. It becomes a will act first. You told me I got to forgive my enemies. Man, I just, I'd rather bless them with a brick, God, honestly. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, I, but I modeled for you hanging on a cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing right now, Father. They have no idea what they're doing. But, but I got this. So, there's a point where all of a sudden I start to believe my prayer. It starts to go, the will act of my intellect starts to reach my heart. So, you know, Lord, I really do want them blessed. I really actually like to see them in, in heaven. I would like you to save them. That's got to be the Holy Ghost because, I, you know, as people, we're capable of really ugly things when we're angry and jealous and bitter and resentful and hateful and murdering spirits. Recognize you're already living in eternity. You're just living in eternity. And then crave this spiritual milk. So I just got really excited that God has released to us an enablement. He has made available to us this account. And so this morning I realized that 
you really cannot do this. We've shared this before. You really can't do this without the Holy Spirit. The first part of my journey, it was all intellect. You know, me, I'm the, the nuclear engineer. I study it. I read it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't measure it, taste it, smell it, feel it, nah, it didn't happen, right? And then he starts to do things in me, and then he, he released the Holy Spirit one day and started flowing out of my lips, and I had no control. I was like, okay, I, I had given you permission to take all of me, but what is that? He goes, I got I to gotta mess up your mind because you're just too... You're too intellectually set on these things. So let me mess with you a little bit. And when he did, it was like, good thing there was a pastor there. He said, Tom, that's okay. That's the Holy Spirit, and that's the gift of tongues, and, and you'll be all right. I said, oh, all right. My wife already had the gift of tongues, <laughs> and I'd hear her in there, and I'm like, what in the world? And my mom, good Lord, in the morning, she was already there. And so, can you imagine being surrounded by that kind of, those women? These women you give me, Lord, they're like, I had no, I had no, I couldn't escape. It was like they were praying for me and praying and singing and oh, man. And so, I just want us to stand and I want to invite um, our ministry team. So, everybody's comfortable. If you're on the ministry team, put a mask on so we can get really close to ears and, and, uh, and speak if you need it. But I would want to encourage us this morning to really step into a new enablement, a revelation of what you've been enabled in power to do. God has made available, and I just, I was talking with, uh, you know, I did prayer ministry for Abner Suarez this this past Monday, and we were kind of talking and chatting and talking about what's coming and I said, you know, we're just kind of waiting for the, the outpouring in such ways that the world just can't really grasp it. Can you imagine that um, suppose maybe one of our wounded warriors were to come in and we were to pray for them and their limb were to be restored completely? Do you know that the next Sunday there would probably be thousands of people here? And they'd come and interview and say, so uh, what did you do? What, you know, was that witchcraft? Or, no, that was Jesus. Say what? That was Jesus. He, he's, you know. And so there's a, there's a readiness or a willingness to be understanding of the enablement that we want to operate in that place. We're not after the signs, but the signs verify that the message that we share is true. Right? He said that in, in Mark 16. He says in the book of Acts. The message is validated by the signs following. In fact, when John's disciples came to Jesus, when John was in prison, almost to be beheaded, he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, John wants to know if you're the one. He says, go back and tell your, your master that the, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. It was the signs that validated his messiahship. And so there's something about the message. So we don't seek the signs, but the signs validate. And so, and we get excited when they come. When, when the blind eyes are open, the deaf hear, the tumors disappear. We were celebrating this week, my friend Jack, I don't know if he's listening, he's in Georgia as well, uh, college roommate. Uh, about two months ago, he fell off a ladder and broke his back. And so, while they were x-raying him for his back, they saw a tumor in his kidney. He had no pain or anything. So they went in there, 
took his kidney out this week, but we were praying, and they said, well, it was caught so early that you're, you're fine. You're going to be fine. And so he's celebrating he fell off a ladder with a broken back because God brought a revelation that if that thing had continued, right, there is, there, this God is an amazing God that is able, and he's got his hand on his children. So if you need prayer this morning for enablement, just, just come on and let's, let's put in some background music and uh, maybe, Alex, you could maybe do the guitar for us, man. Thank you. As one, thank you. Um, I just want to ask God to release that presence of the Holy Spirit that tonight, I'm, we're, this is anticipatory for tonight. We're going to have a God night. We're just going to set, as long as he, you know, we say five to seven, but I, we've never gotten out of here by, before seven. So. so we're just going to let God have the night in worship. It's interactive. The Holy Spirit's in charge. We have no agenda. We have no sermonette. But I want to invite you to come to be part of tonight. We just, we're setting apart a night for God. Jonathan Blanchard's been taking these to different locations in the city, and I so appreciate that. We have a really critical time coming. I want to invite you to come and join with a fast. We're going to do a three-day fast, October 31st. You know what ugly day that is. In the, just look at the lawns of some of the people out in your neighborhood. I can't understand all that stuff. But anyway, um, October 31st, November 1st, November 2nd, we're going to join with millions of Christians in the U.S. to pray for this election, to pray for peace. We don't want to see any harm. We just want God to act. We want to be able to have democracy do its good work. And we want peace with no injuries and no confusion. We don't want any deception. So we're just continuing to pray that Lord will do what only he can do and that this nation will be a godly nation in seeking after him. So, Lord, I thank you now. You said to him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you spotless, faultless before God with great joy in his presence. God bless you all. Come for prayer, and we'll see you tonight if you can make it. God bless you. Thank you, all those listening live stream.